our God is a God of miracles. I don't think you guys heard me. Our God is a God of miracles. Our God is a God of miracles. No matter what life throws our way, no matter what the diagnosis is from the doctor, no matter how much money is in your checking account, no matter how long it's been since you've talked to that relative, no matter how far behind you are in your mortgage payments, no matter how much you can't stand your employer, no matter what you've done, no matter who you've hurt, no matter what the president tweets, no matter what the state of the economy is, no matter what the left says and no matter what the right says, no matter how long you've been single, no matter how long you've been fighting to keep your marriage going, no matter how long you've been trying to conceive a child, no matter how many loved ones you've lost, our God is a God of miracles. And some of the miracles he performs may seem small, and some of them may be huge in nature. Some of them are healing, like the Cohens. Some of them are financial in God's provision, like the Cohens. But no matter what the miracle is, it is a sign that our God is that God. And today I want to talk about a miracle that is so big, too specifically, and some of these may be subjective to opinion, but this one is objectively large. And for this, we need to go back in time just a little. In fact, maybe we need to go back in time a lot. So we're going to rewind to the very first miracle in God's Word. Now, all the people with the type A personalities right now just perked up. They're like, oh, we're going in chronological order. This is great. Genesis is the beginning. I can write this down. And, and uh, all the type Bs, well, they already checked out when I said objective and subjective. So let's, let's go to the very first miracle. We're going to start in Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was waste and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God brooded upon the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness and called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning one day, and God said, let there be a vault in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. And God made the vault and divided the waters that were above the vault, and it was so. And God called the vault heavens, and there was evening and there was morning a second day. papers keep falling off here. Now I can hear you guys thinking now, okay, this guy is really deep. He's really in touch with the Spirit of God. He really dove into the books of the Bible that no one ever thinks of. He started in Genesis 1. Wow, this guy is really, really, really on par. Well, I never claimed to be deep. I never even claimed to study for this week, so who knows? I might just keep reading Genesis. I've got, I've got like 25 minutes left, and we could probably cover a couple chapters. So who's ready for a little reading through the five books of the former prophets? Because that's what I've got here. All right, all right. We can move on, but not because you told me to. So what did we see in this passage? 
I think what we're seeing here is that from the very beginning, that God is a miracle-working God. From the very beginning, our God is a God of miracles. God literally spoke, and the earth came into existence. And this morning, I want to give us some perspective on how big we are. Does anyone ever feel like you're really big, like you're hot stuff? Okay, it's about the response I expected. Does anyone ever feel on the flip side, the flip, flip side of that really small, like you don't have purpose or like there's nothing important about your life? Well, this morning, I want to put things in perspective, and I'm going to turn to Psalms for that. Psalms 19 tells us that the heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display his craftsmanship. Day after day, they continue to speak. Night after night, they make him known. They speak without a sound or word. Their voice is never heard, yet their message has gone through the earth and their words to the world. God has made a home in the heavens for the sun. Perhaps this is why man has been so infatuated with what is beyond our earthly boundaries. Maybe the search deeper into space exploration is simply an attempt to find out something of the connection to the creator who made the heavens to declare his glory. Christmas Eve, 50 years ago, Frank Borman, James Lovell, and William Anders made history. Seven months following the journey that these men took, Neil Armstrong would be taking his first steps on the moon. But that's not what these men are known for. These men, these astronauts, were the crew upon the Apollo 8, and they were the first men to ever see the far side of the moon. And they laid the stepping stones that allowed Neil Armstrong to take his steps on the moon. Their mission was simple, to photograph the far side of the moon, a side of the moon that had never before been seen by men, in search for a, lay, a safe landing site for the soon-coming Apollo lunar landing missions. Shortly after that exploration, when seven months' time, men would be setting their foot on the moon, the first time that we had ever stepped foot on a heavenly body. However, that's not what made this journey so famous and world-known. The team of astronauts that emerged from the moon's far side on their fourth orbit, they saw for the first time something from a distance that had never been viewed before. They broadcast this image to the world. Fifty years ago, this is the first time that the earth had been seen from this perspective. And as the largest group of people watching TV at one time gathered around, they stood in awe and reverence of the beauty of what God had created. The image they saw didn't look this clear, though. It was black and white, and it was fuzzy. The broadcast had been broadcast from thousands and thousands of miles away. But the world stood in awe of the beauty of what God had created. And the broadcast had the astronauts aboard the Apollo 8 in awe with what they've seen. And they decided after deliberating what they would share with the world when they sent this picture, they decided to read this. William Anders starts and says, We are now approaching lunar sunrise. And for all the people back on Earth, the crew of the Apollo 8 has a message that we would like to send to you. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth was without form and void and darkness. 
was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, and it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. Then James Level picks up, and God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and the evening and the morning were the first day. And God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. And God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above, and it was so. And God called the firmament heaven, and everything heaven, and evening and the morning were the second day. And finally, Frank Borman finishes off the broadcast. And God said, let the waters under the heaven be gathered together unto one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth. And the gathering together of the waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And from the crew of the Apollo 8, we close with good night, good luck, a Merry Christmas, and God bless you all all of you on the good earth. As the Apollo 8 crew saw something that had never before been seen by the likes of man, they experienced a moment that only a handful of people have ever been able to experience firsthand. Though at that moment, the earth seemed so incredibly small and fragile and delicate, it had never received as much attention and wonder and awe. And in those moments the crew of the Apollo realized the majesty and the splendor and the awe. And in those moments, they've realized that God was one who is miraculous. And with his miraculous words, he fashioned all that we know. He spoke everything that we have into existence. But still, today, people lack adequate proof that God is, in fact, a miracle-working God and the miracle-working creator that God tells us he is in his word. While the Apollo 8 crew had the opportunity to share the first live view of the earth with people of earth, we have something that seemed like only a dream now, that 50 years ago. Over the past 50 to 100 years, we've had huge Numerous technological advancements, some of the greatest of all times. We've learned more about medicine and science and mathematics and technology and astrophysics over the last hundred years than we have in hundreds or perhaps thousands prior. Half a century ago, the earth was stunned by a low-resolution grainy image in black and white on their TV sets, so much so that they stood in awe together as one people of earth. But today we have the ability at any given time to pull a live stream of a measurably higher quality of the same beautiful earth in our pockets. Church, what you're looking at right now is not a still image. This is a live broadcast from 240 miles above the earth's surface. This is a broadcast from the International Space Station of the earth that God spoke into existence. You can go online anytime and pull up this view. Something that we take for granted. 50 years ago, the whole earth joined together and stood in awe of God's splendor and the beauty of what he created. And now we can view it at any point and we can see 
that the heavens do declare God's glory. There's something so surreal about this view, and I'm going to leave it up as I continue. You guys can just use this as a visual example of the miraculous, as a reminder that no matter how normal, no matter how ordinary you feel, a reminder that you are living in a miracle. We know that God created the world. We know that it's a miracle, but, but just how miraculous is this home, is this place that we call home? There are numerous, in fact, countless factors that go into make our life on earth amazing and make our life a miracle. And I want to I want to talk about a few of those today. Just some things that that just really hone in on how miraculous is it that we live here. So today I want to talk about our moon. And you may be thinking, "Oh, yeah, the moon. I know that. Once a month it comes out. It's a full moon. That's when the crazies come out." Yeah, that's one way of looking at it. You go, "Oh, yeah, the moon. That's so we can see at night when we're driving and our headlights go out. Cool, yeah." Or maybe the scientific minds, the type A's, they're like, no, no, that it causes tides. Yeah, okay, well, you, you covered everything I was going to do, so I guess we can move on. Or, or did you? So here's some trivial information for you about the moon. And if you ever end up on Jeopardy or Millionaire and you win because of this, you're welcome. So let's start with the fact that moons, specifically big moons, stabilize the rotation of the host planet's axis. Did I lose any of you yet? This makes the climate more stable and sustainable for life. The moon's mass must be a sizable percentage of the host planet, in this case, the Earth's mass. If the moon were too small, it wouldn't have the same effect on the Earth. Take the moons orbiting Mars. They're too small and they don't make the cut. Their mass isn't a great enough percentage to have the gravitational pull needed. Our moon, or moon, as we call it, keeps the obliquity of the Earth, or the axial tilt, around 23 and a half degrees. Now, this measure is taken from the imaginary axis that's perpendicular to the plane of the ellipse that the Earth travels around the sun. So if you take that elliptical path and you cut it perpendicularly, the Earth is offset 23 and a half degrees. It varies a little bit over the course of years, but it's about 23 and a half degrees. So what's the deal with tilt? Well, in case you're wondering, tilt is what gives us our seasons. And if the moon's gravitational pull wasn't what it is, the Earth would vary more than 30 degrees. And if that doesn't seem like a big deal, well, think about that when the Earth is tilted 60 degrees towards the sun and the northern hemisphere for the summer months would be scorching heat. It would obliterate our ice caps. And you think global warming is a problem now? Well, just imagine what 30 more degrees of tilt would do for our sun. And if you're like, well, I don't mind the heat. I'll get out the SPF 110. And some of you are like, oh, that's funny. No, that's a real thing. It's what I use when I go down near the equator. <laughs> Maybe you're looking forward to the winter, so you think, well, I'll go down south when the Earth is at that 60-degree tilt. Well, you would probably freeze to death in the sub-zero temperatures that follow. Not to mention that the season would be perpetually dark. There'd be no sunlight on the southern hemisphere. So what does the moon do for us? Another contributing factor, one you're probably more familiar with, is oceanic tides. And I think I just saw the type Bs perk up again because they heard tides and their mind went to surfing and laying on the beach. And that's great. While the type Bs are heading down to the gulf, the rest of us are going to talk a little science. So the moon's gravitational pull also pulls the ocean tides. It makes them raise and it makes them lower. And while this is happening, and because this is happening, the nutrients from the land are pulled into the ocean, causing 
intertidal zones, which is where the water covers the land partially. And then the type Bs again perk back up because they thought, oh, that's where I can leave my footprints in the sand. So when the water rushes up over your feet and then goes back out, that is, again, thanks to the moon. So the moon says, you're welcome, type Bs. What else does it do, you ask? Well, until recent years, people thought that the tides were only in shallow waters. However, it is now understood that the moon helps with deep ocean tidal activity, causes tremendous amount of oceanic currents. Those currents, in turn, move enormous amounts of water, which regulate the climate temperatures. The water can remove lots of heat. And without the water moving, temperate climates would be so hot that they couldn't have life, that they couldn't have a lush green foliage growing. So these things that we don't ever even realize, we're all planned in, we're all woven into the fabric of where we live. So you ask, what does all this mean? And I'm not an astrophysicist. I can barely even say the word. However, it seems that without the moon, we wouldn't be here. And maybe you're thinking like, okay, so like we wouldn't be at church today because the, the snow is bad and the moon and the tides. And No, no, no. We wouldn't be here as an earth. We could not survive without the moon. Like, wow, that's deep. What's that got to do with God? Everything. The greater we understand the fragility of our lives and how delicate the ecosystems on this earth are and our solar system are, we can greater realize that we are living in a miracle. And there's so many more countless things that contribute to our lives being livable and our planet being inhabitable. Another contributing factor in our survivability on this planet is the proximity to and the size of our sun. The ability for the earth to sustain life as we know it is dependent on the size of our sun and the proportionate distance to the sun. If our sun were a larger star, it would have a shorter lifetime. It would burn quicker, put off much more light and much more heat. And if it were smaller, it wouldn't have enough thermal radiation to maintain liquid on earth, which is essential for life, unless the earth orbited closer. You think, okay, well, that's fine. If we had a smaller star, we could orbit closer. Well, if we orbited any closer than the 92.96 million miles that we orbit at currently, the Earth would end up in what's called rapid tidal locking. And this is what the moon has going on with it. Remember earlier we said these were the first men to see the other side of the moon. That is because the moon has rotational synchronization with the earth. And as it spins, it spins like this. So the far side is always away instead of rotating as it rotates around the sun, giving us day and night. If the sun were smaller, the dark side would never see the light of the sun and the light side would be scorched from extreme temperatures. And if this were the case, there would be a very narrow area around the circumference of the earth that is just between the day and the night where life could possibly be sustained. Very large percentage of the earth would be uninhabitable, but even if that were the case, it brings a slew of problems in that scenario as well. But we're not done yet. Another factor even further out than the moon's relationship to the sun 
is our solar system's relationship to our galaxy. Let's keep moving under the understanding that the majority of what I said so far is fairly accurate. The last point I want to make about the miraculous is this. Our solar system is located in what is known as the galactic habitable zone. This is similar to the circumstellar habitable zone, which the circumstellar habitable zone is what we call our distance to the sun. That is all that stuff we just talked about, the survivability of our planet. But the galactic habitable zone means that our solar system has to be in the exact right system, in the exact right location in our galaxy for us to live. This is our galaxy. This is the Milky Way. This is a composite image of it. It is 100,000 light years wide. And in those spiral arms, we estimate that we are where this blue dot is. That is not a size of Earth compared to the solar system. In fact, if this solar system were stretched out to the size of the entire United States, if the galaxy was stretched out to the size of the entire United States, our solar system would be a quarter. If we took this and expanded it to cover the whole US and put a quarter on it, that's how big our solar system would be. And if we were not in that section right there where we're at in the galactic inhabitable zone, we would be bombarded with black holes and asteroids and supernovas and stars that were so big that they would pull us in and destroy our life. The area in the middle where we think, oh, everything revolves around us. No, no, we're, we're out about a third of the way. If we were in that area, it would be bad potatoes for us. Hundred thousand light years wide is what our galaxy is. And that's really hard to envision how big that is, but but I want you guys to think about this. Does anybody in here like driving fast? If there's kids in here, don't look at your parents raising their hands. How how fast have you guys driven in a car? Just someone spit out a number. Eighty, okay. I have a hundred, I have eighty. Is Adam Sommer in here? Because I how how much? You know, Adam. You might not believe this, but if you look at my paper right here, it says 90, 100. Adam, maybe 130. I assumed you would hit 130. And I, I'm, kids, cover your ears. That's kilometers an hour, kids, so that's only like 80 miles. I'm just kidding. That's, that's pretty fast, 130. That was a good guess. Man, I feel like God must have spoken to me. Adam has driven 130 miles an hour. It's awesome. How about flying? Anyone in here ever fly? I know Chris has. Has anyone else ever flown? Like, not like you flew. You're like, oh, I got a license. No, I mean, if you do, cool. That's awesome. I want to fly too. Show me how. So, um, Boeing 747, which travels at a top speed of about 614 miles an hour. That's pretty fast, right? Well, the speed of light is 186,000 miles per second, meaning that light travels around the speed of 670 million miles per hour. So if you were taking the speed of the Boeing 747 times a million miles an hour, it would take you 100,000 years to get from that side of our galaxy to the other side. 670 million miles an hour, and it would take you 100,000 years 
to reach the other side. That's how big our galaxy is. That's how big our God is, that he can merely speak. And what you see is. I say all this to put weight to the fact that we are living in a miracle. Some of you might be sitting here and you're a little upset because all this talk of how big everything is, it just makes you feel small. And you're like, I didn't come to church to make, make myself feel small. I had a crummy week and I was hoping you'd kind of lift up my spirit. And I'm, I'm not here to make, make you feel small. I'm here to let you know that you are small. We are all small. But in our smallness lies God's biggest miracle of all. You see, the earth, which is home to everyone you know, is such a small part of our planet, in a small solar system, in a galaxy that is a speck in the grand scheme of the universe, and God holds it all in his hand. I have one more illustration to help us understand the magnitude of how big everything is, how big our world is, and how small we are. On February 14, 1990, nearly 28 years ago, the Voyager spacecraft was on its way out of our neighborhood of the solar system. And just as it passed what used to be considered our ninth planet, goodbye Pluto, the engineers said, Let's send a final command to the Voyager. It was a simple command. Turn around and snap a series of photos of our solar system. Let's take a look at the Earth one more time before we leave. This unmanned spacecraft, some four billion miles away, spun around and snapped a series of 60 photographs as it was leaving our solar system, a process that took months for the data to stream the four billion miles back to Earth. Now, this is impressive to me, that 30 years ago, we were able to send a solar selfie from four billion miles away, and I can't even get data coverage on the second floor of my house. I think NASA's holding out on us. I think they need a call, call up Sprint and Tell them this is how it goes. We sent solar selfies 30 years ago, 4 billion miles. And yeah, it took five months for a 640 kilobit file to make its way back, but that's okay. We've got some serious cell coverage out in space. But thanks to the technology on the Voyager, we were able to get a few dozen photos back. And one of the photos some of you may have seen is a world-renowned photo known as the pale blue dot. Now, I don't know if you can even see in this photo because 30 years ago, the image quality was not that fantastic. But in this last streak of light, there's just that, a pale blue dot. Let's blow it up just a little bit. That's us from 4 billion Miles away, one of 60 photographs caught a glimpse of the sun's light rays shining over the earth. That's us. 
the late Carl Sagan wrote a book called The Pale Blue Dot, and in it there's an excerpt I want to read to you. Look again at that dot. That's here. That's home. That's us. On it, everyone you love, everyone you know, everyone who you ever heard of, every human being who ever was lived out their lives. The aggregate of joy and suffering, thousands of confident religions, ideologies, and economic doctrines. Every hunter and forger, every hero and every coward, every creator and destroyer of civilization, every king and every peasant, every young couple in love, every mother and father and hopeful child, every inventor and explorer, every teacher of morals, every corrupt politician, every superstar and every supreme leader every saint and every sinner in the history of our species lived there on a moat of dust suspended in a sunbeam. That is us. And if nothing else today can make you feel small, I don't think we can look at that photo and think that, that we're any bigger than we actually are. And in that smallness lies God's biggest miracle of all. Because a couple thousand years ago, the greatest miracle was shared with us. It started out with a little baby born to a virgin, who scripture tells us grew up into a man, the only perfect, shameless, sinless, and blameless man who in our smallness, in our imperfections, in our sins and in our shortcomings, in our blatant disregard for his will for our lives, came down as a gift from the one who created us and came down to that speck and gave his life for us. What a miracle. A miracle that even though we're so small, our God, the God of miracles, sacrificed his son so that we could spend our lives on here, earth, and after this life in eternity with our Father in heaven. Romans gives us the steps for this. It says, if you confess with your mouth, that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God, and it is by confessing with your mouth that you are saved. God's word tells us that we all sin, we all fall short of the glory of God and his plan for our lives. And the only way that we're able to get back on board with God's plan for our lives is to follow what his word tells us. The life following God isn't necessarily the easiest path, and it won't always be perfect, but it is what we were created to do, to follow God, to worship him, to praise him, to share that love with everyone else on that pale blue dot. In church this morning, if you think, I don't know this God. I don't know this miracle of Jesus coming to earth. But I want to. 
It's as simple as confessing with your mouth. It's as simple as speaking those words and believing in your heart. Church, close your eyes with me, and I want to pray with you. Father God, thank you for the miracle of creation. Thank you for the miracle of your son. Thank you that even though all we are is a speck, suspended in a sunbeam, that you came down, the creator of everything, the one who can hold everything in your hand, and you came down to that speck. You came to earth and you gave your life for us. God, for me. Your word says that if I was the only one, you still would have done it. God, I confess with my mouth that I am a sinner, God. That I am unworthy of your love and your grace. But God, in spite of all that, you gave your only son willingly so that I could spend an eternity with you, Lord. God, thank you for that miracle. Thank you for that miracle, God. Church, today, if you made that decision, if you said, yes, God, I want you in my life, I want you to tell somebody about it. I don't need you to stand up. I don't need you to come to the front or lift your hand, but you need to let somebody know because we are here. We are now part of this family. We are part of this body, and as this family, we want to help you grow. We want to help you move in that relationship with God. We want to answer questions about the God who made the universe, the God who loves you, the God who gave it all for you. So if somebody here made that decision, tell somebody. If somebody listening to the podcast made that decision, find somebody that you know, the person who shared the podcast with you, a friend or family member that you go to church with, and find a church and get plugged in. Whether that's here with us at Church 214, we would love to have you. Or if you're listening from far away, find somewhere local that you can build a relationship with a family and get connected and serve and grow that relationship with that family and grow that relationship with Jesus, the one who gave it all for you. Thank you, church.